Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to episode 17 of Say Why to Drugs with me, Dr. Susie Gage. And after the great bonus episode on hangovers last time with Dr. Sally Adams, we're now back to me chatting with Scroobius Pip. And today we're talking about benzodiazepines, which are a group of synthesised prescription drugs. So here we are, Pip and I say why to benzos. So let's talk about benzodiazepines. Yes. This is a sort of catch-all term for a group of prescription synthesized medicines. So things like Librium was the originally first discovered one. Right. Diazepam, also yep. known as Valium. Alprazolam, also known as Xanax. Right. Rohypnol. So these drugs that you've probably heard of but might not necessarily know what they are. Yeah. They're all sometimes known as benzos or roofies or all that kind of thing. Yeah. And they are, yeah, they were synthesized first accidentally in uh, the 1950s. And um, they're what are called minor tranquilizers. And they became very popular sort of medically in the 60s and 70s. And they were used to treat things like panic and anxiety. And yeah. that's partly the, re- the sort of meteoric rise in popularity medicinally was a lot because that the previous drug for treating anxiety with barbiturates. And they were pretty dangerous sort of accidental overdoses and people using them to to commit suicide right so benzodiazepines were seen as a sort of much safer alternative to that so they became very popular medicinally again there's always a panic or fear when something becomes seen as the safe aversion because then it ends up often getting overused or exploited or do you know what i mean is, is that if you're like oh these are safe it's like, yeah well, it's still it's a relative a powerful term. drug yeah. yeah yeah it's safer Absolutely. So, and they are still prescribed sort of these days. Yeah. Um, but generally, really short term prescriptions. Yeah. So, sort of two to four weeks kind of thing. And they're prescribed for things like panic disorder, general anxiety, insomnia. They're used quite a lot in epilepsy. So, they can be sort of administered to bring people out of long, sort of prolonged seizures, right. which can obviously be really dangerous. So, in particular, um, clobazam is the benzodiazepine that's used in epilepsy yeah 
it's also used in acute alcohol withdrawal, so it can ease the as- agitation, prevent the seizures that are associated with alcohol right. withdrawal, as we talked about in the alcohol episode. Yeah. Um, reduce the kind of trembles and stuff that you get with acute alcohol withdrawal. And they're also used sort of acutely for things like pre-surgery anxiety and to reduce the panic from that might occur from bad hallucinogen intoxication. Right, that's interesting because, yeah, I'd always kind of thought of them or assumed them to be a kind of a painkiller type thing, but I guess it's more, again, a relaxant, kind of that, that, that to calm you down rather than... Yeah, I think the the, sort of the tranquilizing aspect rather yeah. than a painkiller per se is what's sort of the key of their medicinal yeah, sure. use. So what do you think the appeal is of, of benzos? Um, again, they're ones that, that, that seemed... I first heard about them as in America. Again, a, a lot of people becoming addicted to them or getting, um, again, a, a prescription because of panic attacks or because of something that's m- m- not not immeasurable but marginally immeasurable that you can kind of say oh i need these mm-hmm. and then again becoming ad- addicted to them as yeah as exactly that a relaxant a, 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 something to kind of space you out a bit but not being seen as, as that big a risk but then again you we've seen with in celebrity cases in america of addiction to it and that mm-hmm. kind of thing that can be hugely- yeah i think i think that's that sort of hit the nail on the head they're pretty easy to get hold of yeah legitimately get hold of as yeah. well you, you can go to the doctor and get a prescription for them yeah because they're a medicine maybe they're seen as safer than if you're taking like an illicit drug they're yeah. like oh no but it's a, it's a medical drug so it's got to be yeah like it's got to be safe and like some of the sort of the descriptions of that people have about the intoxication experience are things like i felt a cozy sleepiness or a sort of calm chattiness yeah like it's sort of pleasurable relaxation yeah tranquilizers make you feel tranquil it's yeah. kind of yeah of course quite appealing in that we're going to talk probably quite generally about these drugs but what i should say at the beginning is that different varieties of benzos have slightly different profiles so when we talk about sort of time to onset and the length of time that it lasts it does vary slightly between the different types of benzodiazepines yeah so in particular and again it's 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 why there'll be a lot of of like people i know who've been prescribed them for 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 different um post-op situations and stuff like that it's often taken two or three different tries to get the right one, to get the right fit, to get the one that actually suits your situation specifically. So again, there's clearly nuanced differences on a broad, yeah, on a broad spectrum. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So uh, in terms of how they're taken, I guess they tend to be in pills, but they can also be in gels. So they're usually swallowed but sometimes you could crush and, and snort them. Mm-hmm. And occasionally people uh, have tried to dilute them and inject them. Uh, but this can be pretty dangerous because either you get a pill that's quite chalky and if you inject that, it can sort of lead to kind of abscesses and that kind of thing. It's mm-hmm. not particularly good for you. And with the gels, there have been some instances of it kind of solidifying inside veins and stuff. Right. So obviously that's extremely dangerous. So yeah. that's a really problematic method of administration but then we've said that in so many of the other podcasts that when you get to injecting that's by far the sort of most harmful way you can take yeah there's the most ways that stuff can can go wrong absolutely yeah yeah yeah. just from the sort of the yeah the injection as well as the speed of getting the drug in you can lead to more problems as well yeah so as i said yeah different drugs have different kind of profiles so for example xanax has a very fast onset but a shorter intoxication time than than valium than diazepam right 
And the the sort of experiences that you have when you're on them is this kind of sedation, sedation of both mind and muscle, really. Yeah. And you get this feeling of a lowering of anxiety, of tension and of kind of stress that you might be feeling like physical and emotional stress, I suppose. But then alongside that, you also then get a lowering in coordination. If it's relaxing your muscles, then obviously you sort of struggle to perhaps sort of do fine motor movement. It's a pretty bad idea to drive if you're on benzos. Um, It can affect your alertness and your concentration as well. It's just numbing, I suppose. Yeah. And then as you increase to higher doses, you might end up with sort of slurring your speech, kind of confusion. And in extreme cases, you can lose consciousness. You can suffer amnesia and blackouts. One of the sort of slightly strange things is that you do hear some stories of benzos being linked to kind of violence and aggression. Right. And you think, well, that doesn't really fit with this sedation no, against, profile. Yeah, it's the opposite, right? But it, I mean, I suppose if you think sort of in terms of alcohol, it might be associated with a kind of disinhibition. As you feel relaxed, you, your inhibitions might shed slightly. And this could then sort of paradoxically lead to this kind of this kind of behaviour. Yeah. And so there's an increased ri- risk of being involved in accidents when you're on a higher doses of benzos mm. as well it's an interesting one because anything that's a prescribed drug you don't in or you may not instantly come to mind of 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 the the dangers of driving and stuff like that anything mm. that's that's alcohol or anything yeah. like that that's that's seen more as recreational you'd instantly know that if you're driving it's a it's it's a danger whereas again prescribed things you'll often think oh it's as you said it's medical it's prescribed it's yeah a- although i mean things like i suppose sort of cold medicine or antihistamine some of them are sort yeah. of can induce drowsiness and yeah. you get warnings on the side of the packet do not operate heavy machinery yeah. while under the influence of these drugs so it's, it's weird how i never i never think of my car as heavy machinery yeah. it's, it's clearly <laughs> very heavy machinery I, i've all, i've genuinely always read that and thought all right i won't yeah use well i don't cranes. work in a factory yeah, so, exactly, yeah. <laughs> exactly it's like i won't yeah i won't get the forklift truck out but yeah, yeah it's the same i guess it's a a big block of steel. Yeah, I'm, pre- I'm pretty sure that that's do not drive while you're under the influence of those yeah. either. It's yeah. pretty good advice. And then if you carry on sort of increasing your dose and you get into overdose territory, mm-hmm. then you run the risk of sort of choking or inhaling vomit if you're unconscious and, it, and you throw up. Yeah. Um, and then you also get a danger from it. Can In really heavy doses, it can also sort of slow or minimise, like depress your breathing. Yeah. So, and particularly if children get hold of this drug and take large amounts, it can be really dangerous. Yeah. And because of this, it's also this kind of slowing and depressing of your breathing. It's a particular risk if you've got pre-existing kind of lung or breathing problems. Mm-hmm. That's kind of the short-term effects of benzos. Yeah. And as with most of the, well, pretty much every drug that we've talked about, when you try and come off these drugs, then you do get withdrawal symptoms. Yeah. And as is usual, the withdrawal symptoms are quite often like the opposite of the intoxication effects. Right. So in this case, you can get increased anxiety. Now, obviously, that's pretty hard. If you've been prescribed benzos to minimise your anxiety, then if you come off them and you get increased anxiety... Is that withdrawal or is that just a recurrence of the pre-existing symptoms? Originally, yeah. So this is pretty hard when researching it to try and tease Mm, out. Yeah. But it does look like acute withdrawal can can sort of end with anxiety more severe than than you were having previously. Than was originally there. Again, I can see and anxiety is one that um, is almost, it it can be self-perpetuating. So it's, it's that thing of if you already had anxiety, but now you've, your anxiety compared to where you've been 
on the medication Mm -hmm. is going to feel that much higher, which will then potentially make it that much higher and, yeah, become a self-perpetuating thing there, I guess. And some of the other symptoms of withdrawal are like the physical manifestations of anxiety, so things like increased heart rate and blood pressure, shakes, tremors, insomnia, uh, sensitivity to light and sound, so I guess kind of migraine-like symptoms. And if you're if you've been used to taking it at extremely high doses and you and you completely stop, then you can be liable to having sort of seizures and that kind of thing yeah. as well. So abrupt stopping is really dangerous right. if you're on high doses and you really need to sort of wean yourself off slowly and ideally with the help of a doctor because I, I was speaking um, on Twitter. I was asking about sort of myths surrounding these substances and a GP got in touch with me and said that in an ideal world there's lots of people at the moment who are sort of addicted to to benzos who want to come off and what they really need is a tapering program plus uh, cognitive behavioral therapy as well to help them deal with the withdrawal symptoms which will stop and most people if they've been put on benzos for anxiety after they come off them their anxiety will eventually go back to less than what it was before they started but they might have to endure a period of sort of more intense anxiety yeah to come off so it's a it's a strange profile that it has but again that's easier to get through if you're on a program and you have that awareness if if you're just trying it yourself and you go well my anxiety is raised then then i'll stop this this isn't this isn't good whereas if you know here's how it's going to go we're going to gradually lower you're going to have a peak point but Mm -hmm. then overall it will it will level out then that's yeah that's easier to get through and that helps with a cognitive behavior therapy and, and someone actually talking you through it all absolutely but of course uh, on a very underfunded and overpopulated nhs it's very difficult yeah. to get cbt of course, so yeah. that is partly why addictions can sort of continue or perpetuate yeah. in these circumstances because it is it's sort of it's unpleasant to come off these drugs and so that can be really yeah yeah difficult now do benzos have sort of long-term effects if you use them over long periods of time what sort of are you running the risk of well like most of the sort of addictive substance we've talked about or and some of the non-addictive ones as well you you could get a tolerance to these substances so the mm-hmm. more you take of them the more your brain uh becomes sort of used to having that kind of input that change to its sort of neuronal neurotransmitter balance yeah and then the more it kind of needs to have the effects that you got initially and also there's a physical and psychological addiction to benzodiazepines that can develop if you take them frequently yeah. and this is partly why this sort of a this two to four week prescriptions certainly in the uk that that's kind of limited to that and uh, unless it's sort of unusual circumstances to yeah. try and minimize this whole developing into a to- an addiction or a dependence on these, on these is, substances. I'm, I'm i'm throwing out a question without giving you a chance to have done any research on it but is 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 there any benefit or use to s- cycling I said on on the variation is so if it it was a case of you needed it for longer than the, than a two to three week period would they alternate the kind of benzo they, they they're giving you to reduce the addiction or is it just in general whichever version you're getting if you if you're doing some kind of benzo for an extended time then it's okay so risk. I don't know this and I will check it and I can add information into the intro or the outro but yep. my hunch would be because this is what is often done with opioid based painkillers mm-hmm. is that you would have a short-term prescription of a benzo and then you'd have a short-term prescription of something else that has a similar effect but is it right. has a different mechanism of action same? yeah to prevent that kind of so you would cycle but not between because i would i would 
assume that benzos would kind of have a similar effect in terms of tolerance so yeah because they're working on the same thing and they, they have the same action they might have a slightly different sort of initiation and long longevity sure. profile yeah. but they kind of i imagine that two different benzos would still build your tolerance and build your in a similar way to saying i'm having a month off the beer so i'm just drinking a bottle of wine every night wouldn't <laughs> yeah. you know it wouldn't actually have yeah. that that change in effect yeah that makes sense yeah but um if that is incorrect i will put a i might chop this out but if <laughs> <laughs> but i'll put something in the intro or the outro perfect um hmm, right where do we get to yes long-term effects we've mentioned the sort of the addiction or dependence side of it if you're taking drugs that sort of numb you frequently and over long periods of time then they can't possibly not have an impact on your daily life like you're going to struggle to do things you're going to struggle to work if you need to concentrate if you need to sort of be physically active all these things you're going to find quite difficult if you're taking benzos really frequently yeah and one of the sort of paradoxical effects of long-term use can actually lead to increased anxiety it can lead to panic it can lead to sleep problems and decreased energy and again this is difficult to know because possibly the people who are likely to take benzos for a long amount of time are people who've got more levels of anxiety and panic and all these Mm -hmm. kind of things in the first place but another possibility is that as the body becomes sort of used to getting these benzos sort of needing them to stop these feelings then you it's the tolerance thing you need more and more so once you can you can't keep dosing up and up and up so the symptoms are going to sort of creep in as your tolerance increases that's kind of the theory behind it and there's some suggestions some studies that have shown long-term use of benzos to be linked to an increased risk of dementia and memory problems but what's not clear is how kind of reversible this is Mm. so it might be the case that because you're sort of you're numbing your brain then your concentration your alertness and that kind of thing perhaps your memory consolidation is kind of problematic that might be why it's quite good to treat panic because yeah. it's like what we talked about with mdma it's all about memory as well yeah of course. so if you can kind of slightly sub- subdue your memory then maybe that helps you deal with panic so what's not really clear is whether when you stop taking benzos is do these sort of memory problems reverse Right. And as your brain sort of clears, do, do, do your memory problems disappear? Does the sort of what looks like dementia, does that reduce? Right. And that there hasn't really been very much research, certainly no, no sort of really good quality research that's looked at that yet. Yeah. So it's kind of unclear. Yeah. And I guess that's probably because there hasn't been much research on really long term users. Yeah, sure. Benzos also have some interactions which it's important to be aware of. So if you're taking antihistamines, then um, this can make benzodiazepines effects kind of stronger. Right. And that might be, I've only thought of this just now, to do with the kind of drowsiness nature that yeah. antihistamines can have as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, some antidepressants as well. I think we mentioned anti, some antidepressants interact with a lot of other, a lot of recreational drugs. Yeah. And grapefruit juice is... Uh, a thing that can sort of enhance the effect of some types of benzodiazepines oh, really? as well. Again, we've had that one crazy, haven't yeah. we? How it will ramp things up, and yeah, you wouldn't. It's not something you'd consider necessarily, but yeah, it's going to yeah. Increase the potency. I think a lot of people who are put on sort of immunosuppressant medication um, are told to sort of 
medically advised to avoid grapefruit yeah, and, wow. and grapefruit juice and that kind of thing. And I think it's to a lesser extent with other citrus fruits, but grapefruit is sort of the, the most citrusy of the citrus yeah, fruits. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, yeah. the one that tends to get to get mentioned. Shall we move on to myths? Yes. Yes. Okay. So first myth. Uh, benzos make highs from other drugs feel better. Right. And I mean, I guess this is kind of I like the interactions we've talked about. This is sort of the case. So it's quite rare. I mean, we've talked a lot about people who are sort of prescribed benzos and then kind of not really helped to come off them. So they might end up using them non-medicinally. Yeah. But actually the really sort of problematic use of benzodiazepines is people who are also using other illicit drugs. Right. In particular, things like heroin, the use of benzos alongside heroin is where you see the real kind of problems with people often sort of overdosing ending up in treatment it's kind of you speak to people who work in treatment and they say that like the people that they're the most worried about are the people who use heroin and benzos together so it can be sort of problematic and it can enhance the intoxication from other depressants so things like alcohol and heroin Mm -hmm. Um, and some people use it to minimize the withdrawal effects from these substances as well so i think that's in particular why it's used in heroin because if you're if you can't get hold of heroin and you're coming off it and the withdrawal we talked about in the heroin episode is pretty horrendous like yeah. heavy flu kind of thing then if you can take benzos that can really sort of minimize those feelings right. and, and kind of help you but then of can course tide the, you the, over effectively, the problem yeah. is that then you end up next you're withdrawing from benzos and yeah. so it's sort of yeah, yeah. a really bad kind of cycle um, and as I mentioned in the intro, it's actually used as a treatment for acute alcohol withdrawal yeah. as well. But then it's quite problematic to use alcohol and benzos because it's sort of two depressants. It's the same with heroin and benzos. If you use them at the same time, then you run more of a risk of sort of depressing your breathing. It can lead to more sort of risk of becoming unconscious, choking and all the kind of things that go yeah, along with that sure. as well. Um, and some people who use stimulants can use benzos to counter some of the sort of high effects of some of the stimulants as well so you can kind of sort of temper your high with to try and balance yeah benzos to take control well. of that a bit more yeah yeah absolutely so yeah it's really really dangerous yeah. to use drugs like this because you end up taking far more of everything basically yeah. <laughs> to try and yeah. get that balance to get right. that balance to to get the exact right mix is yeah. yeah. So you run the risk of overdose if you combine it with depressants. You run the risk of masking the effects of stimulants, so you might not realise sort of the impact it's having on your on your kind of heart and your blood pressure and right, that kind sure. of thing. Um, so your awareness and consciousness it will be tapering, but not but potentially not, not your heart rate, your blood pressure, and all these other things that yeah yeah, and the strain it's putting on things like your liver as well, yeah. because generally if you're using it with other drugs, it means you're taking higher doses and you're putting yourself more at risk of withdrawal problems um and i read uh, figures that about 30 to 50 percent of alcoholics also use benzos right so it's it's not a small problem it's quite a big problem this sort of poly drug use in in this kind of way yeah okay uh myth number two that uh valerian tea is natural valium Right. So do you know of valerian tea? I'm not familiar with it, no. So it's like a herbal tea that's kind of marketed as a medicine to treat insomnia, anxiety and kind of restless leg. Right. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. you can see the name valerian tea, valium. You can kind of see how this link made yeah. and it's being marketed as to treat the same kind of things that valium treats. Yeah. 
but uh, all the sort of good quality evidence, the good the sort of randomised trials that have been done, don't ha find any evidence that it's effective for these kind of things above and beyond a placebo. Right. right. And now uh, we had a big chat before we actually started recording about placebos, yeah, yeah. coincidentally. Yeah, yeah. And this isn't to say that placebo effects don't work, but yeah. it's not the same as sort of when you test drugs like benzodiazepines, you compare them to a placebo. Yeah. So a pill that looks identical to the benzodiazepine but contains nothing but sugar. Sure. And in fact, that's kind of the minimum you need to do to, to check that a drug's work a drug works ideally you'd compare it against the currently available drug of choice for that treatment so yeah. when benzos were developed they were randomized controlled trials comparing them to barbiturates for example right. and barbiturates would have been compared to a placebo and sort of so the idea is you want evidence that it's above and beyond a placebo yeah and when there's no evidence that it's any more effective than a placebo then the difficulty with prescribing it is you get into sort of the ethicality of prescribing someone something that you know has no effect, even yeah. though you can sort of make a reliable sort of assumption that it will have some effect for the patient. Yeah. It's not going to have an effect to the degree that a sort of tried and tested medicine will yeah. have. Yeah, of course. So anyway, that's a little sort of side about... Uh, placebos and again it's 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 that, it's that weird thing as said as we've discussed there are benefits and proven effects of placebos but that shouldn't ever be at the detriment of an actually proven and tested solution or something that will have an effect that would that will uh, will work and that's where placebos or again a lot of of, of homeopathy Pathic stuff and stuff like that can become dangerous because people are saying, right, I'm coming off of this yeah. because I've got this new tea. It's like, right, well, maybe have your tea as well as the thing that's medically proven to, to have an effect rather than coming yeah. off of encountering. I think that's a really, really important point that lots of people say, oh, well, what's the harm, though, of, of herbal remedies? And that that is the harm. Yeah. The harm is when you sort of turn your back on treatments that have been proven to be effective yeah. for something that has not been proven to be yeah. effective yeah. and, in fact, has been tested and tested and tested and found to have no effect. Yeah. yeah. That is a problem. Yeah. yeah. Good point. Okay, so the next myth I've got is uh, grapefruit juice can increase the high from benzos. And we've sort of talked about this already, I suppose. Yeah. So it can make the effect of the benzos stronger, but it means you're more at risk of kind of the dangers of overdose. And yeah, as this is also the case with some antidepressants and yeah. antihistamines. So yeah. we've sort of covered that already. I um, mean, the main story that we're learning through all of these episodes is avoid grapefruit juice. It sounds... <laughs> It sounds like the worst. I think we're going to have to do an episode on grapefruit yeah. juice. Oh, God, I love grapefruit <laughs> juice. It's, like, it's my favourite. <laughs> okay, myth number, I've lost count, but next myth. Um, people don't use only benzodiazepines. No one is just addicted right. to benzodiazepines. And I think we've sort of talked about how it does happen, actually, but it's much rarer than kind of using benzos along with some other right illicit yeah, yeah. or not necessarily illicit because of alcohol as well and generally the people who do end up with a dependence on benzos without any other kind of drug tend to be the people who were initially prescribed them yeah. and then sort of weren't necessarily helped to get off them sure. afterwards makes sense cool okay so other sort of things of interest about benzos normally at this point we do are there any medical uses of benzos we kind of covered that right yeah. at the beginning yeah, yeah yes there are so other things um there's a lot of debate about whether 
pregnant women should use benzodiazepines or whether right. there might be risk to the unborn baby if they're used during pregnancy. One study found um, there's a slight incre- increased risk of cleft palate. Right. But it's a really, really small. So the overall risk, I think, is sort of 0.06%. And the use of benzos during pregnancy was associated with the risk going up to 0.07%. So right. this is where it like, relatively, that's quite a big increase. But in terms of absolute risk, it's still very, very rare. Yeah, tiny, yeah. Also, the evidence isn't particularly strong in any case. There's sort of different kinds of studies that you can do to look at these kind of things. And ideally, what you want to do is sort of follow people up over time. Mm-hmm. And that's called a cohort study. But these, the evidence from this tended to come from case control studies where you get a group of babies with cleft palates and a group with not. So it's like, like cases and controls. Mm-hmm. And then you ask the mothers to remember back to whether they used benzos or not. Right. And so if you know that cleft palate might be linked to use of benzos or you sort of know I'm I've got a baby with cleft palate and I'm being asked about this so obviously there might be something going on here you might be sort of more likely to remember using them than someone who's sort of got a healthy baby with no problems at all and you might just think oh no I didn't I didn't do anything like that yeah so this can be a sort of a problem with these kind of studies so that and also it's got the same problem that all these kind of studies where you just observe what people do is that there might be all sorts of other things going on as well like why was the mother using benzos is it just that actually being anxious all the way through your pregnancy puts your child at risk and so actually being on benzos even if it does raise the risk a tiny bit might be beneficial because the sort of you're reducing the levels of cortisol that's in the sort of mother's blood during pregnancy and that kind of thing so the the picture is always much more complicated than just x causes y kind of thing yeah of course and so that can be quite hard to tease out and there's also some suggestion that uh, if you use benzos very close to birth the infant can get what's called floppy infant syndrome um, which is kind of just a slightly sort of non-responsive in the first few days I mean generally I'm not sure that there's a great risk from floppy infant syndrome of anything sort of more long term but it can be quite distressing for a a new mother to sort of have a unresponsive baby and that kind of thing but again there's still not great evidence that benzos are associated with this anyway and it's kind of an area where debate is going on at the moment and probably research is ongoing so I did did quite a lot of reading in the sort of academic literature about Mm -hmm. about benzos and there's a lot of evidence that abuse of benzodiazepines is linked to all sorts of sort of indicators of harm so things like being on benefits uh, having had periods of homelessness having previously been in prison and all this kind of thing Mm. but what you're really not getting from here is what in what direction is causality yeah so it can be i mean perhaps people who are, are sort of struggling in their life might might turn to something that kind of numbs them as a way of dealing with the kind of tough thing that's been going on yeah but equally it's perfectly plausible that if you have if you're on benzos a lot it'll be pretty hard to hold down a job so you might lose your home and if you lose your home you might be forced to sort of steal or all these kind of things are sort of it's very difficult to tease out in what direction it's going and again there's probably much more complicated things going yeah. on than saying that like 
benzos cause homelessness or Again, being and, in prison and, and, causes an addiction to benzos. And as, as, as they are something that's prescribed for anxiety and that kind of thing, they're anxious situations. Yeah. So there's a higher likeliness or, or likelihood that those people would have been prescribed them and yeah. therefore it's just... Yeah, yeah. absolutely. It's, it's, yeah. So I think... Um, I mean, I think these indicators of harm are associated with lots of drug use yeah. um, for lots of different and quite complicated reasons. Yeah, of course. Um, and finally, before we finish, there's one Benzo haven't really talked about, but it used to be really problematic. So Tamazepam. Yeah. I think it's because its profile is particularly sort of high onset and quite long lasting. So it's right. particularly sort of problematic. Yeah drug profile quick onset rather it's now very restricted in terms of how it can be prescribed so if pharmacies stock it they have to keep it stored in safe custody and like right if you write a prescription for it you're not allowed to use any kind of um corrective fluid on the prescription or this kind of thing it's like not that's not the case for many drugs that are this kind of restricted so I think it used to be the most problematic in terms of abuse, but actually now that steps have been taken to kind of restrict access to it, that's kind of gone down a bit. Yeah. And perhaps it was the most abused to begin with because it was the easiest to get hold of for a while. But now yeah. that it's not the case, that's that's not the case. Yeah, it removes it, it, it from the... From circulation. The, the, yeah, from circulation. Yeah. Slightly. It's the one that, again, is particularly of, of, of my age, I guess, is the most familiar name and, yeah. and and known one that's kind of yeah you've heard that as a as a yeah a, a regularly quoted and used one but again as soon as it's the beauty of 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 of, of legalization or decriminalization or regulation is mm-hmm. that you've got that control to then go all right no actually we're going to be this needs tighter regulation yeah. and then it almost instantly drops out of the circulation a bit mm. and actually i think we should probably touch on rohypnol as yeah. well because we haven't really talked about that all the way through this. Yeah. And that's another one where you've heard the name. Yeah, of and that's because it's it was sort of renowned for being used as a date rape yeah. drug. And you can kind of see how the sort of effects of it would work for that. It's, it's sort of numbing and kind of sedating properties. Yeah. And this is another one that when it sort of became apparent that that's how it was being used, it became much more restricted, certainly a lot across Europe and I think in the States as well, yeah. that um, it was kind of access to it was really, really minimised when it yeah. was realised that it could be used in this yeah. in this way. And there we go. Now, in the middle of that episode, Pip throws a question to me about whether switching between different benzodiazepines can minimise tolerance. And having looked into it after recording, it is indeed the case that tolerance to one benzo would in all likelihood transfer to other ones because of their relatedness. Now, I hope you enjoyed the podcast and thank you once again for downloading and listening. And again, I'd like to recommend the What's the Crack podcast from King's College London. The most recent episode discusses cannabis and features my friend Amir, and it's well worth a listen. And as always, Stop and Search is another podcast I'd recommend. It's really amazing to see this kind of community of drugs information podcasts growing up, and I'm really keen to support all of them. So anyway, that's the end of this episode. And join us again in two weeks' time when Scroobius Pip and I will be discussing salvia. Bye! You've been listening to Say Why to Drugs with me, Dr. Susie Gage. 
The music was by Jim Murray and the artwork was by at my name is at. Say Why to Drugs would not have been possible without the generous support of I'm a Scientist, Get Me Out of Here, the Medical Research Council and Scroobius Pips Distraction Pieces Network. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.